I learned about our guest today when I was watching and reading all about the 2020 RBC Women of Influence Entrepreneurship Awards. Desiree Bonbonon was the winner this year. And when I was reading about her company, I really just needed to learn more. I wanted to understand more about her and her journey and how she's built over the last 35 years this incredible empire with so many different distinct offerings to support small and medium-sized businesses around the globe. Welcome to The Road to Seven. I'm your host, Sheila Cummins. I am an entrepreneur, a mentor, an investor, a wife, and mom to three beautiful children. Women entrepreneurs are up-leveling and changing the rules for business strategy, leadership, success, money, and impacting the world every single day. The Road to Seven is the diary of business strategy for women entrepreneurs. We meet you where you're at in your business and champion you along the road to your vision. And I am honored you chose to join us today. Ready to go? Buckle up. It's time to hit the road. So Desiree, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. How did SureCall get started? What did it look like right at the start? How did it all come to be? Yeah, so SureCall actually started out as as a completely different company. It was an existing communications business that I was working at. And as we sold off various assets and divisions of the business, we were left with this small dispatch center that we used to utilize for paging services for alphanumeric pagers way back in the day. And we were going to shut it down. And my husband asked me if there was any interest, was there anything else we could do with it? And I had this idea of creating a customized outsource service business for some time. And I thought, why not? So what actually SureCall is, is it morphed out of this previous business into a global business optimization company. Tell us more about that, because there are, like I said in the intro, so many different verticals or different ways that people can work with your company. Yeah, I think what we did was as we were learning about our customers, which is really the important piece about this, is finding out what our customers' pain points are and what problem are we trying to solve for them. As we sort of did that research, we found that there were various streams of processing that we could probably, at the end of the day, combine. They interacted well with each other, but they were also like separate. So you can sell it as, you know, one type of service or you could divide it up into three or four different verticals, as you as you stated. So an example of that would be somebody who would require us for emergency escalation or emergency response. From that could come a work alone service where they say, hey, by the way, we also have these people that are working up north and they have nobody checking in on them. All of those different sort of solutions came from the voice of our customer, listening to them and trying to figure out what things can we offer that'll help them with these various pain points in their organization. Was there ever a point through the growth where you ended up having to say, no, we don't have the capacity to do that? Oh, yes, a number of times. And it wasn't really the capacity to be innovative and creative to be able to find a solution. We always could do that. It was maybe on a scale that we thought we wouldn't be able to roll out quickly enough for the client or, you know, they had some aspirations to build it into something that just 
wouldn't be supported on our platform. And the one thing that we won't do is say yes to something that we can't do really well for our clients. Do you have sort of an audit or a procedure that you go through to figure out whether something is possible or not? Yes, we have a very intense onboarding and check sheet that we go through. So as we're starting off before we actually do a sign off on an agreement or a contract, we do a full scale. We've got all kinds of online documents that we go through the client with just to make sure that we can match them up with everything that we're offering or that we have the capacity from a size perspective or also the technology, right, to be able to provide them omni-channel solutions, for example, which we do. So those things are are important that we get right off the bat with our client because what we don't want to do is promise them a solution that later on down the road we're unable to build for them or make happen. Sure, that would sort of be the kiss of death for you. <laughs> so yeah. let's go back. Let's go back 35 years. Go back to the beginning. What was the first offering that SureCall put out as you evolved out of the paging industry? So it was basic name number service, right? Sort of like virtual reception where an after hours service. So there'd be a lot of service companies, things like, for example, plumbers or locksmiths or people that did a lot of work after hours that just didn't have the ability to have somebody working 24-7 in their office looking after these things. So we would look after all of those calls that came in or emergencies that came in with pipes breaking or something like that. And those were our first clients. And they actually, they came from the paging company we had because they used the pagers in order to be able to do their work. And then as we sold off our paging assets, they sort of came to us and said, hey, you know what? We really want you to continue doing this service for us because it's so important for us to be there for our customers when they need us. And it's sort of that was sort of the stages of what this BPO has become today. Wow. What have been the biggest challenges as you've grown? Maybe let's talk first sort of at the early stages. What was the biggest challenge getting up and running? And then let's talk later when you're now offering so many different Right. So I think at the beginning, it was easy because we had this old DOS system way back. And, you know, with name and number, it was really super simple to just plug in a bunch of information and shoot it off. Now or later on, as we grew, people, our customers were coming to us with these other kind of ideas of, hey, we want to get into this. We want to be able to do that. And those required a completely different platform. So I guess it's the technology and being able to change technologies. And, you know, when you have people that are used to a certain type of technology and all of a sudden, like technology back then wasn't like technology is today, where now we're kind of used to that pace of everything's going to change every couple of months. Back then, it was like, for us to change from a DOS system to a sort of a full-blown scripting system was like, whoa, it was like a whole different universe, right? So I think that was the challenges early on. Later, it became the growth challenges, right? Everybody wanted to utilize this service because it was so much easier to outsource to specialists who really, really focused on the customer. And so they could look at their core product and focus on that while we took care of their clients. So this became a big thing for clients to want to come to us. So it was about finding the right people to work in our organization and to develop the type of culture that we wanted to create in order to be able to service customers with excellence. So you are not a one-woman shop. There's quite a big team that's behind the company. What are some of the key roles that you had to hire along the way so you could manage the growth? Right. And, and at first, I would say it was just 
team leads and supervisors and managers and things like that. You know, obviously you have your finance and audit department and everything else, but it was all about the team, right? And as we changed our language, they're no longer team leads. Now they're like gurus, right? As resources, they're no longer managers. We don't use manager in our company. We call them leaders. And we've actually also hired a culture champion. So somebody just to look after the culture of the team, make sure that we're sticking to our cultural values, that when we bring people in, that they learn about our culture and values at Surecall so that we're doing the best we can to support them in, in their journey with us. And when you brought in the culture champion, were there tangible impacts that came from doing that? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, when, when you're looking at employee engagement and measuring employee engagement, you do it the same way you would do for customers. So, you know, you have your internal NPS score, right? Your internal net promoter score. You have things like volunteer hours. We offer all of our team a day every month that they can go and volunteer at their favorite cause and we'll pay for that. And so we look at the number of individuals that are engaged in that and taking us up on that. We have a gamification board platform where they have the opportunity to sort of score high quality scores and that gives them points and those points lead towards a bonus at the end of the month. So we see how the competition is going, how many of the team are engaged and moving towards those rewards for doing a job well done. So we have all of these engagement KPIs that we utilize and that culture champion, their role is to ensure the team understands how to utilize these platforms, how to stay engaged, how to use the volunteer hours, all of those things so that they know that they have all these other benefits available to them. How did giving back become such an important part of your company culture? Because you do do a lot of giving back. Tell us about that. Right. So I am a big advocate of Many, many causes. One close to my heart is educating females in underserved and developing countries. And I went to Harvard. I was invited to Harvard as a fellow in 2017 and 2018 because I had this idea around Hero Girls, which is an empowerment program for girls. In 2016, in order to initiate this sort of value, purpose-driven engagement that I have with my team, I went ahead and started a program called Good Call within our organization. So Good Call is our corporate social responsibility program, and it impacts our local community, our national community in Canada, as well as the global community, which is the Hero Girls program. So that's really when we shifted from a profit-driven organization to a purpose-driven organization. And all of my focus went to looking after my team and getting them engaged in purpose-driven initiatives. So how did this impact our bottom line? You know, people always ask me that all the time, right? Oh, well, you took your eye off the ball, right? You're not thinking about your customers anymore. You're just thinking about your team and and doing all this good in the world. Well, utilizing your business as a force for good has a track record of actually increasing your profits and increasing your revenues for an organization. So as soon as we became purpose-driven, we started attracting amazing talent, people who wanted to come and work for us, which then increased customer service we were giving to our clients. And we have now more clients coming to us saying, we want to be connected with a purpose-driven 
organization. As you know, ESG is so huge right now in the world. Every business industry is trying to do it. We became a certified B Corporation in 2019, which is just awesome. So it just, you know, sort of solidifies our commitment to utilizing our business as a force for good. What was the moment where you sort of said, yes, I want to shift to the purpose driven and not so much focused on the profit driven? What was there something that happened? How, how did that come to be? I think it was just early in my life, I struggled. I had a lot of challenges, which at the end of the day helped build my resiliency and my creative entrepreneurial spirit. But I always thought, wouldn't it be better if there was just more support for girls and females, you know, in their journey to leadership, which there still today isn't a whole lot of. And I always had this in the back of my mind. And my husband and I started talking about after 25, 30 years in business, what will be our legacy? right? What are we going to leave behind that says, hey, we didn't just start this business and have this business for 30 something years and didn't contribute back to our community. We wanted to be community builders. We wanted to contribute back to the community. I didn't know it was going to get as big as it did, but that's sort of the impetus that it started with. And then when I had the opportunity to create the Good Call program and then was invited to Harvard, I really got sort of in the middle of it, right? All of these leaders, because it was the Advanced Leadership Initiative Program, which only focuses on critical humanitarian issues around the world. So I was immersed in doing this social good. And so I was able to take that learning and bring it back to my organization and really incorporate some key programs and initiatives, impact initiatives for the world. I work with a lot of women with very large hearts and they all want to make the world a better place. What I see though, is sometimes they're putting their acts of service ahead of themselves and their business. Was there criteria in your business that had to hold true in order for you to be able to make that shift? Was it a level of revenue, a level of profit? What were some of the the benchmarks that you needed to be able to make that shift? Yeah, Shayla, that's an excellent question because you do see that happen once in a while where somebody with a really good heart goes out there and puts their heart and soul into doing something for the betterment of everyone and then ends up losing their, their business because they take their eye off the ball. Well, because of the, how I've strategized the Good Call program into the revenues of the organization, we have to be able to create those revenues in order to be able to provide the Good Call program. So all of the KPIs are tied into that specific piece. So the team knows if they're hitting these KPIs, it means that we're going to be able to provide the funding that's necessary for the Good Call program. So it's not just about going, oh, I'm going to go out here and do this. It's all a part of taking all of these pieces that we put together and built and and it's woven actually into the business as part of what we do. So it's part of the business. And so if the business isn't being successful, the Good Call program can't be successful. Right. So it's not at the expense of the business. The business actually fuels the give back. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. And, you know, the fact is, at the end of the day, if the business isn't being successful, there's no way that the program can be successful. How do you get employee buy-in? Is it a hiring process? Where where do you get the employee buy-in so that everybody is there with that shared mission and wanting to live those shared core values? Right. So one of the things that we do, I believe we do really well here is onboarding customers, but also onboarding our team. Right. When our team starts, we put a tremendous amount of time and energy into the front end. So we spend almost three weeks putting them through the onboarding process, 
telling them, helping them learn about our organization. I spent three two-hour sessions with them doing our Shirkal University. And in our Shirkal University, we have all of these corporate social responsibility pieces. We have pieces about what the culture is in our organization, what the expectations are of values and behaviors within the organization, and how we're a purpose-driven organization. And we talk to the programs that we fuel, as to use your word, and they get so excited about it. It's like we've never gone through an onboarding like this before in any organization we've come to where right off the bat, you tell us about the good things you're doing for the community. You need to have that buy-in at the front end because it's too hard to try to show them afterwards. Do you know what I mean? If they come in with the right mindset, now they're going into a team that have also gone through that same exposure. And it's like they just slide in there and they all know what they're going to be talking about, you know? So it's a really great way to do it. Not enough companies spend enough time sharing those good things that they do with the team right up front. Well, I was just going to say, like, I feel like the time that you're putting in in the front end, those short term, they're not necessarily in production or working their jobs right That's away. Right. There is a long term benefit to doing it. But also you are involved in the onboarding as the president. Why and why do you choose to be involved? Because I think in order for you, your team to have buy in, they have to believe that their leaders believe in what we're talking about. Like I can have anybody go in there and talk to them about the program and what we've done. But when the CEO walks in and says, hi guys, I wanted to meet you. I wanted to be part of this. Let me tell you about my company. They just, their eyes light up. They can't believe, first of all, they've got an audience with the CEO. They're allowed to ask me whatever they want. I think that you see that more and more today, more CEOs are getting involved. I've always been involved in the onboarding of our our team. And even if I'm not in the same province, because we have a team that are all across the country, we do it virtually. We do it live virtually. Has COVID had a huge impact on your business? COVID has had, believe it or not, a positive impact on my business from a revenue generation perspective because of the fact that companies are coming to us to help support them through COVID, right? They weren't ready or set up to have their entire teams working from home, right? Where we've always been 70% remote. So we could, not only were we able to help them in the short term, some of them have stuck with us. They've said, you know, we thought we were going to use you just for the short term, but we found out like, you guys are great. We're going to stick with you, right? But we also have helped other organizations in the short term, but then shown them how to build a remote team and keep the remote team engaged. So we've really done some great community building during the pandemic. That's amazing. And I would like to just before I let you go, I would like to touch on the fact that you are in an elite club here in Canada of women who are running seven figure, eight figure, nine figure businesses. What has that journey been like for you? It's tougher than it needs to be. Let me tell you that I'm 53. And I can tell you it took a long time to get successful compared to probably if I were male and, you know, I'm not slighting men at all for their success or how quickly they succeed. But I think that there are barriers, right, for women in leadership positions. And so that's one of my goals is to make sure that other women leaders don't have to fight so hard or take so long to get to that pinnacle point. What were some of the challenges for you? You know, well, obviously, I'm also a BIPOC individual. So we're set in a separate class, right, with regards to, first of all, being female, right, and always trying to check off all the boxes, right? When you're being hired for a senior role, it seems that if you're female, 
that you have to meet every single criteria in order to get that role, whereas men can meet 60% of the criteria and they'll be offered the role. Or you're offered the role, but you're offered it at, you know, 70% or 75% of the salary. So there are those things that are difficult. And also just being able to get assistance or help or resources. You know, a lot of that has changed now as we see more and more female leaders getting onto boards and, you know, being able to provide specific help to females that are coming up through the organization, those glass ceilings, breaking the glass ceiling and all of those things. So I think obviously things are changing. To me, it's like changing at a glacial pace. I mean, even today, as we we know all the facts, right? World Economic Forum can tell you, anybody, McKinsey can tell you, having women leaders, having a woman leader, having women board members are going to improve the financial value of your organization. And yet it's still taking so long for sort of that needle to move. So uh, I wish it could go faster, but in my small way, I'm glad that I'm able to help. Well, I think that you are a role model to many, definitely to me. I've been following your journey pretty closely since learning about you. Final question. Take me back to beginning Call. Take me back to the beginning. What do you know now that you wish you had known then? Well, a couple of big lessons, right? To fail forward, right? Learn from your mistakes, but failure is not a bad thing. I think everybody talks about failure now. It's kind of the thing to do. Like if you don't fail, there's something wrong with you. But I think it's just about not just failing, but learning from those mistakes. And don't let anyone tell you that it can't be done. I think that's another lesson I kind of learned where, you know, you'd you'd have this great idea. You'd have people around you telling, are you crazy? You can't do that. Well, you know what? Yeah, I can't. And maybe I am crazy, but it'll happen. So also trusting yourself and also trust is very important with your team, right? Trust is a must. Simon Sinek said it best, right? When he said a team is not a group of people who work together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. And so also to learn to lead from the heart. I think those are important learning lessons. When I was a startup, I wish I could go back and tell myself, don't sweat the small stuff. Like, don't go crazy. Don't have all those sleepless nights because you don't really have to worry and be confident. And also that any challenges that you have will make you a better leader. Amazing. What words to live by. Desiree, thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Thank you for sharing so many little pearls of wisdom that I think the listeners will really appreciate. And and I really am very grateful for you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. If your marketing efforts and sales funnels are not getting you the returns that you really want, and if you're ready to turn your ambitious dreams into profitable results, then the Business Accelerator is here to help you. The Business Accelerator is our newest program that is designed to help you create your clearly defined core offer. You already have a core offer, you tell me. I get it. I'm sure you do. But unless your sales and marketing are converting at exactly the conversion rates that you desire, then there is an opportunity to refine and strengthen your core offer so you start earning the revenue that will match the lifestyle that you truly desire. So maybe you have a business that's earning money, but it's not enough to support the lifestyle that you desire. Or maybe you're feeling burnt out by a constant churn of one-on-one work. Maybe you're at that point where you want to build a team, but you find the thought terrifying and you don't know what you're going to hire them to do. Or you keep trying new things that are not producing the results that you want. The Business Accelerator is here to help. 
It's here to help you bust through those plateaus, move past your roadblocks, and create a core offer that will set you up for growth, fulfillment, and success. We're going to peel back the layers of your business and likely ditch what isn't working or serving you and really beef up what is helping you get where you want to go. Then we're going to create a rock-solid core offer, which is the cornerstone of a profitable and successful business that is aligned with your goals and values. And then finally, we're going to map out a plan to leverage your business so you can create the freedom, fulfillment, and results you've always dreamed of. This business accelerator is the first step if you're wanting to shift from being a solo entrepreneur into a profitable and thriving six and seven figure CEO. In order to learn more, go visit the Road to Seven website and click on the Business Accelerator program. If you know you want in or you want to talk about it, just simply book a business booster session. The link is down in the show notes below and it would be an honor to talk with you and about your business to see if the Business Accelerator is your next best move.